Welcome to Armchair Directors. I am Matt James, and with me as always is my co-host, Richard. How you hey, doing, hey, my friend? I'm good, I'm good. I've, I've, had, I've had a good... Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to get this opening. No. Right, are we? No. Um... It's Richard, Richard Patton, by the way. I just said his first name, like he's Madonna. That's right. You'd probably be closer you... to Prince, but... Thank you. I'll take the compliment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm good though. I've had a good day. Um, the book I'm writing at the moment, um, Bloody uh, Blood Angel, hit ninety thousand words today. Nice, nice, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the home stretch. I'm just about to get to the big action field finale, and yeah, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> cool. Yeah, uh, I finished my current project uh, a couple of days ago as we're recording. Uh, so december 20th just in case as far as timelines are concerned and i'm no, currently no, in the, the rewrite illusion <laughs> yeah i'm in the rewrite stage so i'm in my second draft and all i'm doing is doing what every author loves is to go back and reread everything and uh I, I, second I draft hate, is the worst part about writing i used to hate editing um like mm. for me the fun stuff was always writing like everything before yeah. writing so the um, outlining, brainstorming, I used to hate Sure, writing. That was the best part because that's where, you know, I could just, I didn't have to worry about logistics. I could just sit down and type. Rewriting and, you know, uh, reading and rewriting and editing and all that, to me, oh, I'd rather go to the dentist just because yeah. that's where I kind of go, oh, yeah, this sucks. This really sucks. What the hell was th does this mean? Who wrote this? Is this, is, is this even English? And then yeah. dealing with all the plot problem, all the plot problems, all the um, character issues, and all that. Yeah, that's um, the one thing that I don't mind doing it when I'm writing in the first draft. Is if I feel like there's something I need to work on, um, I'll just go back. I'll stop what I'm doing, go back and fix it before I get yep. further, and <laughs> I can kind of get back on track. Because if I wait until the very end and then go yeah. back and do it. Uh, there's a couple of things I'm liable to forget what I'm fixing because I just get so engrossed in the story that I miss something. Yep. Or I just get completely lost with what I'm doing. And I, it takes me a lot longer than what I originally planned on doing. So it's like, Oh man, did I, Oh wait, I remembered reading that. Did I fix it? And then I backtrack again and I'm just and, like, uh, so yeah. I, I, I don't mind taking a day or two stopping, going back, quickly going through or control F find and trying to find certain things and fixing them in the moment. So it may delay the book a week total at most, but, but it's, it, yeah, it's easier than me getting to. So this book finished first draft at like 93,000 and um, it's better than doing it now. <laughs> yeah, no, so. I, I get that. I get that. And, and see, I had that uh, yesterday. I was writing yesterday and I wrote two chapters and I just realized that these chapters didn't work just because of repercussions and logistics of an action beat that happened. Sure. You know, it was that sort of thing. If I kind of continued with what I had written, the finale was going to change due to the inclusion of this event that would probably put the city it's set in into lockdown. Gotcha. You know, so it's that sort of thing. I'm seeing the thing. Yeah, it's a cool action scene, but in reality, there's no way it would happen, just because also the characters. 
so it's that sort of thing. I kind of I, I wrote the two chapters because I realized this after writing these two chapters, and I was like, right, I'm, I'll, I'll 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 come back. I know I've got to rewrite them. I'll worry about it later. And then I went and did some stuff, and it, and it, I went, oh, hang on, I can just do this. Quickly made a couple of notes, and then went, oh hell, I've got to I've got to now re-outline about ten chapters to get to the finale. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, well. then, and then sit down today and you know, wrote and yeah, it all came really well. It was great, you know, back on track. And it's that sort of thing of, yeah, better, do, better to do it now. And that instead of after. Yeah. That's something I learned a long time ago where I got to, I'll get to the end of the book and then I'll start on my rewrites and get like five or six chapters in. And as I'm like, uh, slowly starting to reveal what's happening, I'm like, Oh boy, I got a lot of work to do <laughs> because depending yeah. on how quickly you write, um, like you're a quick writer. I'm, I am a quick writer. I just have so much going on that I don't always write consistently. So I can get towards the end of the book, but sometimes it has taken me, you know, like, I mean, the Zarkane book, I don't even, that took me very long time to write, but that was a lot of other factors. Um, but you know, if it takes, if it can take me two, three months to write a book, sometimes longer, depending on yeah. situation, man, I, I don't know what I did the week before, let alone what I wrote two months before. <laughs> so keeping yeah. track of this story, regardless of how good your outline is, keeping track of this actual physical written word, it's, yeah. it's not easy. So it's like, that's where being a quick writer has a lot of bonus because yes. it's fresh. It's fresh. Oh, oh, definitely. And if I was I just mean, writing, it wouldn't be a big deal. But I'm doing four other things basically, and it's and that's not family related. Uh, so it's it's there's just a lot going on. So it sometimes oh, takes yeah. me a little bit longer to write than I would like, and then oh, yeah. story can be affected, unfortunately. Yes, but that's this, this is why we can you know this is the great thing about what we do because we can go back and fix those problems. Yeah. But, it does take time. And, and I mean, I used to hate editing. I don't hate as much anymore. I just loathe it now. <laughs> yeah. But well, it's, my process, yeah. Necessary. Yeah. My process is a long one and it's, it's, I've done it since day one really is like first draft, second draft. Uh, third draft is more like looking for those final inconsistencies while yep. I'm doing more editing. And then, physical editing, running it through a couple of different AI programs to help me out mm -hmm. and then send it off to usually two or three different proofreaders um, that are got a really good eye for it and then going through their proofs, um, which is I'm always going to miss something. So it's good to have those mm -hmm. extra set of eyes. And then by the time it's and then send it to the publisher who will run it through one more quick edit. Yeah. Um, by then, it's usually pretty clean. But after I go through the publishers edit i've already gone through the book about seven times and i'm so sick to death of the story by then uh that i'm like i need this to be over with <laughs> it's like see and I, then i'm like wow I, I really don't like this book anymore <laughs> <laughs> see i get to a point for example when i'm doing my editing my edit so i'll i'll write it and then what i'll do is i, I call it filling in the blank so if i'm writing i get to a point I get to something where I need to look up a specific name or a place or some history or some detail that I don't have. I'll put in capital letters four X's. Yeah, true. And I make a note what 
that's meant to be. And then once I finish writing the writing the book, I'll quit. I'll go back through that list of X's and you know control find and fill in the blanks. And that usually pads out the book a bit more, but it's all intentional since I made the note. And then I'll you know let it set for depending on if I've got a deadline or not, set for a couple of weeks, maybe a month. Sure. Come back. And that's when I'll do my read through all the edit notes I've got to do, all the, you know, those moments of, oh, you idiot. Why did you write this? <laughs> oh, I've had plenty of those moments. <laughs> yeah, right now I am going through and seeing how many essay words I can add uh, <laughs> and make it sound like I don't have any less than a high school education. Um, so like, that's what I'm doing now is I'm reading it and looking at structure and I'm going, yep. this doesn't flow right. Need to fix that. It, and uh -huh. then, and then there's like, obviously glaring continuity issues, but like right now I'm just trying to make the story sound better. And then yep. usually my next pass, I'll really, really focus on the story itself. Um, so like right now I'm just trying to get the, and blah, blah, blah did this. And I'm like, wow, this is, this needs a little work. So that's like what I'm, but yeah. that will inevitably boost the book. And that's why I finished at 93, but the book is probably going to finish at 96, 97, if yeah. I had to guess, because it's just, there's going to be parts where I need to um, just go bigger. Add, yeah, yeah. And add to it. So just to make, maybe clarify what I'm trying to get, the point I'm trying to get across. So inevitably it's just going to get fatter, you know, bigger. Yeah. And, right. and, and, we spoke about we, we I mentioned this to you. We were messaging each other the other day. I, I mentioned the um, you know I when I'm editing, I usually don't add. I I more subtract things. So I'll, yeah. I'll go through and go. Okay, yeah. I thought this was a, you know, like a some information, some description of something. I go, yeah. I only need a couple. Of, I don't need a paragraph. It can be a line or two. So I'll you know I cut down more than I add things. I've never cut. I, I, a word count has never gotten smaller by the end for me. It's always gotten bigger. Well, I've okay. never, I've never chopped to the point to where my actual finishing word count is smaller than what it started at the, at the end of the first draft. It's never been smaller. It's always been bigger. Well, see, for me, that comes from the, me cutting down. It's things I find superfluous, or or I go with the things I skip because I'm a firm believer. If I'm go, if I skip something in a book I've written. Chances are the reader will skip it too. True. Um, and also it comes from editing. You know, when I was, um, you know, I, I went to film school, so learning editing. And I, I very quickly learned that, yeah, there are some shots that might take you forever to get in the can, but in the edit, it doesn't work. In the final product, it doesn't work. So you've got to cut it. Sure. So sure. I'm, I'm, I'm always about, okay, what's going to be best for the story and there are certain and i've had books i've written where i'm like you know stories i've written and i'm editing i get to a passage and i say oh this is beautiful this is this is shakespearean levels of awesomeness if you're a fan of shakespeare and and i've gone yeah but it doesn't fit so i gotta delete it <laughs> kind of like your two chapter action sequence that didn't work yeah yeah basically um but granted that, that those two chapters they weren't even awesome Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so me cutting those, it, it wasn't a problem. Sure. But I've had, I've had like lines of dialogue that I've just gone, oh, that's a beautiful, that's perfect. That's a great line. It's either a great comedy line or something like that. And I'm going, yep. I can't use it here. So I'll save it for later. I've actually reused lines of dialogue that I couldn't find a place in the book it was originally written for. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, 
I've written scenes specifically around factoids and dialogue and pop culture references. Like I have entire <laughs> scenes in this book. Uh, Jack is getting used to not using his real name. He's getting used to using aliases and his current alias is Robert Seeger. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, because there's a reference to Bob Seeger in every Jack Ryan book. So it's kind of a theme of mine. And, um, he has an ID card that he's, he's at the Naval base in Guam and he has an ID card that says Robert Seeger. And, uh, the, one of the guards going into the hangar that his, his kid is in. And, uh, before they go out on this mission, uh, sees it and is like, really Robert Seeger. And Jack's like, <laughs> yeah. So, and the guard rolls his eyes. He's like, all right, night moves, go inside. <laughs> so <laughs> I've heard that line a couple of times from you and it still makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I'm like, I really want to call Jack night moves somehow. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I really uh, wanted to, I really wanted to figure out a way to work that in. And I'm like, well, He's currently going to be called Night Moves. So, and uh, like that was just the one part of the book. And I'm like, man, I really need a, I need somebody to like call him Night Moves because <laughs> of his name tag. And it just needs to be somebody out of the blue. It just needs to be. Yep. And I'm like, all right, I'll figure it out. So I'm like in my head, I'm like, okay, there's a scene. Like I'm, I'm working this dialogue in to a specific scene and I got it. And I was really happy with it. So when you guys read that. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was um, a lot of thought going into that, like three lines parts. Some would say too much thought. Not me, but some would. <laughs> yeah, this book. Considering how massive the Undying Kingdom was, as far as the setting, it was huge because it took yep. place in a bunch of different areas, a lot of travel, a lot to see, massive book, biggest book I've ever uh, put together. Uh, in this book, like um, as far as the setting is pretty tiny. And um, I went from those wildly different types of settings. Uh, I was still really thrilled with how much, <laughs> like how honestly how big the book was and how much of the story takes place um, on this island that they're going to and how it works. And I was just like, man, because I was a little timid going, man, if the, you know, 80 plus percent of this book, probably even more takes place on this lo one location. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to get trapped and then write a 60,000 book, 60,000 word book because there's just, what else can I do? So it's like, I was happy that it worked out. Yeah, yeah. Because I got off this huge novel and then went to this and I'm like, Oh boy, <laughs> let's hope this works. <laughs> Let's hope this works. And I, I, it does. I like it a lot. So well, but, yeah, um, that's the thing. You, you know, I've read your stuff. You're a good writer. I mean, you, you, you know Tom Clancy, but you, you do pretty good yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> not, not as dense as Tom Clancy. Uh, he's, he's, he's quite dense. Was quite dense. <laughs> there you go. Um, but that, 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 that little thing with um, Night Moves. You know, so when yeah. it gets made into a movie, that's your cameo, right? You're the one who, in the movie, gets to call him night moves <laughs> that's your cameo that would be great that would be great <laughs> that would be really really funny but um but uh so today's show first of all oh uh, yeah that's right <laughs> planned specifically around christmas 
Yes. Uh, we knew with our Saturday release schedule for Christmas, uh, this show would be coming out on um, Christmas Eve. Yep. So December 24th, this will be released. Um, and we wanted to do a Christmas movie-ish, but not an actual, like, duh Christmas movie. We wanted to do... What's, we, what's a duh Christmas Well, movie? like for me, if I was just going to pick to talk about a Christmas movie, I wanted to do Christmas Vacation. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, this current movie, which we are going to be talking about, is Rise of the Guardians. Yep. There's, there's a lot to talk about because it's not technically a Christmas movie at all, actually. No, no it's not. It actually takes place around Easter. Yep. Um, but... The theme of the book, and obviously the character, one of the characters is a different iteration of Santa. I love, I love this version of Santa. This I version of Santa is great. But what's cool oh, is yeah. that this is this is um, uh, a book that is after a uh, best-selling children's series called uh, Guardians of Ch- Guardians of Childhood, uh-huh. and uh, by William Joyce. And uh, so there's writer involved, you know, author involved. But uh, it's just it's a very very different. Um, holiday movie. I mean, let's put it yeah. this way, because it, it there's four different holidays represented. Um, well, three different holidays represented. I guess it's really yeah. two holidays represented. And I'm thinking about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's two holidays, and it's like four personification of yeah. childhood um, beliefs. Yeah, thrown in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, try, we'll trying get to get into it. Yeah, trying to quantify everything, it gets a little hard. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it. Because, yeah, this this actually takes place at Easter. Because uh, when the main uh, opening of the movie happens, and then you get the Guardians together, um, the Easter Bunny, played by Hugh Jackman. Um, uh. <laughs> also, uh, Bunnymund is, I believe, his name from the book. Uh, yeah. But uh, he complains that he's being called to this meeting three days before Easter. Yeah. And then... The climax of the movie happens either on Easter or shortly after. It's on. Um, it's on Easter. So it's like the night well, the, the night of Easter. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's a great big sequence that takes place with them getting ready to get yep. the eggs out to um, the world and all that. And then our central character, Jack Frost, he goes off to have a little powwow with the, um, the main villain. villain. Amazing villain. Oh, oh, great villain. And even a better, great, villain. A great perfect voice for the villain too. Yeah, yeah, and he was not even the fifth or sixth choice for the role, so it was actually oh. kind of interesting that he landed it. So, yeah. and we're going to go over that because there were actually quite a few actors yes. that I don't want to say they they were signed, but they were linked to it. Yeah, um, and the ones that ended up with the role had no they they all a lot of them came on late so it was actually kind of yeah. interesting how it fell together and you and i are very big with cast and chemistry and all that now it's different with animated because a lot of the time the actors didn't never even see each other yeah but um it, there's it works in this it works in this big time yeah. big time um so but uh yeah so we're doing rise of the guardians uh this is 2012 which is weird because i kind of thought this movie was a heck of a lot older than 10 years old yeah yeah it feels older because i saw it in a good way. <laughs> I may have been one of the only people that were there for opening weekend. Right. Um, because if people don't understand there's a significance with this movie, um, it kind of almost bankrupted DreamWorks. Yep. So this was a major bomb for them. Um, and it was very odd because this movie was a Thanksgiving release. 
Um, it's the personification of children's beliefs and idols and, and stuff. It features, you know, major holiday characters, great actors, big production yeah. company, huge budget uh, for what it is, $130 yeah. million dollar budget. When you really think about that, it's like, whoa. Yeah, for, right. a, for a 90, 90 odd minute movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, wow. Um, yeah, it didn't do well. And yeah. it, it kind of sucks because it's, yeah, well, bigger, actually, $145 million estimated budget. Um, that was, which is Still, for a CG kids movie, that is huge. That was a larger budget than Jurassic Park 3. Yep. Jurassic Park yes, 3 was, was 130. Yeah. Um, and opening but weekend I, was $23 million. Yeah, that's... That's... Was he... I didn't come to Rise of the Guardians until 2016. Yeah. So I was four years late to the party, yeah. and it, and and it has become a staple for my Christmas viewing. Um, but we forgot to do something last week, last episode, and I, we're not going to forget it this episode. Okay, what? So when we did Jurassic Park through, we forgot to read the IMDb one line synopsis. I thought we did. No, we didn't. We didn't. No, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't really remember a lot about that show, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not that's surprising. That's not surprising. So I'm yep. going to read the one Go from ahead. Rise of the Guardians because I actually think it's good. Yeah. When the evil spirit, spirit Pitch launches an assault on Earth, the immortal Guardians team up to protect the innocence of children all around the world. Pretty much. Yeah, and actually that's that, that's a pretty good elevator pitch version of the movie. Yeah, because um, there's a great scene with just um, so... Santa Claus in this case is called North um, yeah. and uh, Jack Frost. He's Russian. They're, yeah, he's Russian. He's uh, Alec Baldwin and yep. he's got this Russian accent. The character himself, he's sleeved out with naughty and nice on each arm. Yep, uh, he yeah, great. wields these two <laughs> massive swords. He's yes. a big, big brute from the North. It, 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 yep. it works great. It works oh, great. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, and it's just him and Jack in his office. So in Santa's workshop, but up in North's office. And uh, he's talking about his center and like what oh, he, great like point. why he exists, like what he is as a, a being. And um, he talks about, you know, wonder. He, he brings wonder to children. And, but the way he explains it with the, um, what are the eggs called? The stacking eggs? Um, the Russian, oh, the, uh, the Choikas? The dolls. Yeah, I think they're Choikas maybe. Is that what yeah. they're? Something like that. But, uh, and each one of them has a different personification of who he is. And there's like, you know, brute strength, there's, uh, um, uh, joy, there's, uh, like, um, fearlessness, there's this, there's that. And then in the very little is a little tiny little, basically baby with big eyes and they're full of wonder. And that's what he brings the world is wonder. And he asks Jack, you know, what is your center? And Jack goes, I don't know. Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't know why he is what he, why he, why he is who he is. And, uh, that's all of, that's what this entire movie is about. Yep. This entire movie oh, yeah. is about Jack trying to figure out who he is and coming to terms with who he is and accepting who he is. And, uh, but William Joyce, man, uh, I got to give this dude credit because the way this starts out with the big, the biggest figure in the entire movie is the man in the moon, right? Yeah. That's so cool. It's so, and they call him Manny. 
It's yeah. well, it, well, it's just just north who calls just it. Just north, no one calls else does. <laughs> yeah, man, man in moon. <laughs> but uh, no, but that that's what's cool is the guardians were chosen by the man in the moon for very yeah. specific reasons, and I'm like, wow. So the all powerful like creator of all of these guys is the man in the moon. Yeah, and Which, you just see the moon. You don't see any yeah. man. You don't see anything. You just see yeah. like. It's this. just the moon shining light down, yep. and it, oh yeah, it, it's it's fantastic, and it makes sense. The concept in, is just so cool. Yeah, and it makes sense because you know, as kids, you know, you look up and you see a face. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing is, I saw this in 2016 in Mexico. Now, for Mexicans, when they look up at the moon, they actually don't see a face; they see a rabbit. <laughs> and there is a story from um, the Aztecs about why there's a rabbit in the moon. So the okay. concept of the oh yeah, um, very very quickly um, the god one of the um, Aztec gods um, Quetzalcoatl I believe it was, he was starving, and you know he was in the desert he was starving and a rabbit saw him and came up and said, look, I, you know, I don't know who you are but you definitely need help so you can, you know you can you can you can eat me I don't mind, you know so he sacrificed to this god and the god ate him and as as a reward he said you can look over the world forever. That's cool. Now, when I first got told this, I I, I was like, okay, I'm, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, rabbit. It's a man in the moon for me. Has mm-hmm. been all my life. I looked up at the moon in Mexico, and yep, it's a rabbit. <laughs> so for for Mexicans, the man calling him man in the moon, they're like, why? That meant no, there's no man. It's a rabbit. So it should be rabbit in the moon. <laughs> That's funny. And it was my ex my ex wife who showed me this movie, and and she. You know, she'd seen it when it first came out. All she loved it. Her one of her favorite Christmas movies. So she's showing it to me, and I'm thinking, "Man, the moon, that's really cool." And she goes, "Just every couple of minutes, you know, whenever they mention Manny, she just there go, it's a rabbit. <laughs> yeah, just it's a rabbit. It's not a man." <laughs> Funny. And then all I can think of is REM. <laughs> so, I'm just gonna leave it at that because yeah, um, Michael Stipe but, but, is but, nobody. You should try to emulate when it comes oh, no. to singing. But that, that what you were talking about though with the center thing, like what what North actually says to Jack about his eyes, he says, Yes, big eyes, very big, because they are full of wonder. Eyes that have always seen the wonder in everything. Eyes that see lights in the trees and magic in the air. This mm-hmm. wonder is what I put into the world and what I protect in children. It is yep. what makes me a guardian. It is my center. What is yours? And um. and it's a great great line it's a great moment in a whole movie in a movie full of great moments yeah. but also it is a question that everyone eventually has to figure out yep you know and for some people it comes quicker and easier than others yeah yeah agreed agreed that's where like i don't know if it's necessarily like you know like life's calling right like mm-hmm. w- what are you what are you born to do yeah and um you know that's where like world-class athletes like Tiger Woods, for instance, yep. right? It was very obvious what he was going to do at a very young age. Um, what I always found funny, and it's like this across the board, is I don't know very many, if any, authors, best-selling authors, mm-hmm. that from day one were going to be best-selling authors. Like writers, like most of them, like myself, like you, like a lot of us, just fell into it kind of decided to start doing it and then like i just decided to start writing in my late 20s because i thought it would be a cool thing to do 
It wasn't anything that I had any idea I wanted to do. You know, there's very, very, like, I know a lot of authors where they come, they hit the, they hit the ground running, but they're already in their thirties or early forties. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't get a lot of these authors that are like, I mean, maybe the, what's his name? Uh, uh, Christopher, um, uh, that wrote Aragon, but he wrote it when he was a kid. Oh, uh, for some reason I want to say Christopher Fowler, but I think that's, that's not, mm. that's something else. <laughs> and I was going to say something, it's close to like, it's a P I think like Pilani or Pilon. Oh, 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 yeah. Um, Pilon? Something like that. Um, it's, it's, um, oh, what's his name? What's his name? Oh. J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling didn't start writing. You know, like there's so many amazing authors. Christopher Paolini. Okay, that was close. I was hey, just because well, we we had talked about Dave Filani, and I'm like, yeah. it's not Filani, but it, it, <laughs> no, it's you were close, very close. Um, yeah, but see, for me, I've always been a story. I've always like I was writing in high school, primary school storyteller. Sure. I've always, you know, I wanted to make movies. So for me, I've it's always been storytelling. Switching to novels and books was just more because I was living in Mexico and because I couldn't speak the language, I had I was positive I would not be able to make a movie in Mexico. <laughs> True. True. So for me, I've always been a storyteller. So kind of, you know, don't want to burst your bubble there. <laughs> yeah, but you but, were in the film industry first or in film, not necessarily. In the industry, yes. Yeah. No, but that's where you see a lot of these guys and you see these major breakthrough novels. And it's a lot of not. Oh, it's luck. The, the author is older than you would expect for them yeah. to be a new, a new writer. You're like, really? But then you oh, see yeah. they came from other industries or. They, um, they were graphic designers first or, yep. you know, they weren't like full-time authors or they weren't even authors yeah. in general. Yeah. Well, you look at say, um, you know, Lee Child, he, he, you know, he was 40 when he wrote the first Jack Reacher book mm -hmm. and before that he was working in TV in the UK and he got fired and he was like, well, I, I like reading. I want to write a book. So he wrote a book, <laughs> you know, same as, uh, John Le Care. He, you know, spent, you know, first half of his life working as a spy for MI6. And he was tired of everyone talking and tired of books and books about spies and movies about spies being similar to James Bond. He wanted to show what reality was for a proper spy. So he wrote The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Yeah. And he changed the, the landscape. Um, and yeah, I think he was like 35, 40. So. Yeah. No, it, it's usually, like I said, it's usually these guys that just come from different industries and uh just start writing it's just kind of interesting how that how that can happen but um regardless um this movie was actually directed by uh peter ramsey so peter ramsey not really a household name mm -hmm. unless you kind of dive a little bit deeper into his work um, but even then what like, what he I did know we're gonna, yeah yeah what he did most people either wouldn't know or won't care about sure yeah, because he was like, um, uh, oh man, uh, Jurassic Three director John Joe Johnson, Joe Johnson, <laughs> where they had been in the industry for a long time, but they were doing yes. other stuff in the industry before they got their first director kind of work. You know, with yeah. him being with ILM doing visual stuff. Um, so Peter Ramsey got most of his work done as a storyboard artist, which yeah. is. A very very interesting but kind of cool way to look at it because he's putting the, he's essentially directing the movie on paper well you know he his first 
credited storyboard artist movie, like role for a movie was Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, then Predator mm. 2. Yep. But then he yeah. did a Minority Report. He did The Core. Uh, he did the Not Good Hulk. Uh, he did some the, animated stuff. He did Godzilla 98. Yep. Uh, Shark Tale. He did Monsters vs. Aliens Head of Story, which is actually quite a good movie. Yeah. Uh, and then you get into his directorship stuff. He directed a Monsters vs. Aliens holiday uh, thing, uh, yeah. ha- Halloween movie. But his first directing movie was this, Rise of the Guardians. And then his next directorship is Into the Spider-Verse, which is mind-blowing uh, oh, because yeah. that was phenomenal. <laughs> oh, yeah. But see, that, that, that kind of proves um, this old adage about Hollywood, which is everybody fails upwards. <laughs> yeah because this movie was like i said there there was very little wrong with this movie it just didn't sell and yeah. uh, so yeah. it wasn't like he didn't do anything wrong it looks yep. amazing it was shot is shot quote great because yep. you know it's animated so it's not really shot but there's still a lot that the director has to do oh, which to me yeah. is mind-blowing that's got to be so much harder well, that that's because there's no they, set. Um, yeah, and that's why, like on Disney movies, every Disney movie there, there's two directors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you look at um, you know, say for example, uh, the classic Renaissance run, Little Mermaid, um, Beauty and the Beast, um, Aladdin, Lion King. You know, it's two directors for each movie, and you need that because okay, you got, you know, because you got to say okay, the design of literally every single thing, plus how everything needs to move plus the lighting, plus how the camera is going to move, plus how the actors have to deliver the lines. One person dealing with all of that wouldn't work at all. Kind of of like what we were talking about at the beginning of the show about editing and continuity and all that. Sometimes we struggle with that. Yeah, the guys who work in animation as a director, yeah, they're working on a different level to us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, big time big time that's why it's like you 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 get these guys that just knock it out of the park with some of these animated movies and you're just like holy cow i just and but then you don't get you don't get the big dogs you don't get these big dog directors that go into animation you never do no it's a completely different beast yeah completely different and before anyone says it or posts about it tim burton didn't direct nightmare before christmas that was um that was selick (laughs) Yeah, you know, he created it. But yeah, yeah, Tim yeah. Burton came up with the original plot. He came up with the character design, but he didn't direct the stop mo- this classic stop motion movie. No, you yeah, know. even though he's he's the one that is connected to it the most. Yeah, but but um, so we kind of went over a little bit about the cast, but uh, deeper dive into it, you'll just yeah, let's do it appreciate <laughs> you'll appreciate the main characters even more. So. Um, Easter Bunny, you get Hugh Jackman, like we mentioned. Alex yeah, which makes, no, which makes no sense because Easter Bunny is not, not from Australia. It's not an Australian creation. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, well, he was, of the actors linked to that character, I think he was either the only Aussie or maybe there was one more because I know Hugh Laurie was a part of this, but I don't, I can't remember if he was Bunny or if he was supposed to be Pitch. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to the the casting thing because I think it's really interesting to go through the yeah, other actors that, who could that, have that, been. That, that, yeah, Hugh as the Easter Bunny would have been weird, but Hugh Laurie as the as as the boogeyman back in 2012. I don't think anyone would have bought that. Now though, yeah, 
Yeah, true. But uh, so Tooth Fairy, you have Isla Fisher, um, great actress, which is yeah. well, it. I loved her in Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> she was, she was. What's your name? I'm I'm Scrappy or not Scrappy? Uh, and what's your name? Mary Jane. I love that name. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Shaggy. Shaggy. She, she, Shaggy. She had to. She had to act a lot in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Uh, she was good in it. But uh, so, <laughs> Chris Pine as Jack Frost. Yep. And the probably the best character in this entire movie is the Boogeyman, which is yep. also known as Pitch Black, which uh-huh. is so freaking cool name. Oh yeah. Dude, and the portrayal of it—it's just like oh, yep. and that is the wonderful Jude Law. And oh yeah, and he, he oh, like I gush over his performance. It's so yes. Good. The, the, the the first time I saw the movie, it finishes, and my ex wife says to me, "So what do you think?" And I just went, "Jude Law owned that. That was oh, yeah. Jude Law's movie." And then she goes, "What about Alec Baldwin?" I went, "Who's he?" And she goes, "Santa Claus." I just went, "Okay, great job." Yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah, like it's a fantastic cast, but for me, it's you know the best actor or acting in the movie. It's Jude Law followed by um, Alec Baldwin. I mean, Jude Law is the best actor in the movie too, so it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> Jude, Law, Jude, Jude Law nails everything. I love Jude Law. I just think he's, yes, he's great in everything he does. Yes, but, um, yes. <laughs> um, there's so I wanted to go back to some of the um, some of the actors that were connected to some of these characters, Please. because like we like we've talked about in so many other episodes. It's amazing if you think about if the actual casting went as according to plan, mm-hmm. how it would have drastically, drastically altered the actual turnout of the movie because of just a different actor's portrayal of this character and how weird it would have been. So, so for, for instance, uh, North. So we mm-hmm. got a Russian Alec Baldwin, which, yep. cool. It, it, it works. It works. <laughs> um, but you also had guys like Kevin Spacey, uh, no. Jeff Bridges, no. Albert Finney, Ooh, and no. Kevin Costner. Yeah, see, I don't... Okay, out of all of them, Albert Finney would probably have been the one that could have done it, done a Russian Santa Claus pretty well. Mm-hmm. But see... And me, I don't I know anything it, about the books, so uh, yeah, so neither do I. I, neither I don't do I. know if he's supposed to be Russian, like, or at least have that influence in have the that, character. Yeah, because his name is just North. But... It's not anything actual, quote Russian. Yeah, it's just but, um, that's the inflect, you know, the the accent that they've chosen. Yeah, yeah, that it, was chosen. It, 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 yeah, it does kind of work. It, not kind of, it does work for the character. But see, Kevin Costner, no, nah, he's not a voice actor. That's the thing. Certain actors, you can tell they they can do. Um, they can do voice roles. Kevin Costner, not one of them. Um, Kevin Spacey could have, could have been maybe Kevin, a pitch. He could have maybe Kevin been Spacey. Pitch yeah, yeah. Kevin because Spacey he can a, do that sinister kind of yeah, yeah. darker. He's role. not. He's not jolly. No. <laughs> and and Jeff Bridges. Yeah, nah. I don't want a western like a, a cowboy <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> yes. Uh, you're gonna watch your center. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're, no, 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 no. you're always talking like this, you know. Oh, but, uh, no, 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 so no, then no. Jack Frost, uh, 100% signed, ready to go, Leonardo DiCaprio. And then during pre production, he dropped out of the project and they scrambled to find someone else. And they had other actors involved, 
mm-hmm. but which were Jim Sturgis, Stugris, Sturgis, St- no Sturgis. Okay, uh, you said it right first time. Don't yeah. doubt yourself. <laughs> uh, Jason Bateman. Um, okay, which I think would have been a little too comedic, a little too yeah, slapstick. That and, and and also I think a lot of people would have at that point still would have had oh it's Jim. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh no! Wait, was that no? That's Sean Krasinski. No, that- Jim? No, I'm thinking Jim from American Pie Jim. Oh, no. That's not Jason Bateman. No, no. Jason Bateman's Arrested Development. That's right. Yes. Yes. Arrested Development. And now Ozark. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the other character who's a great voice actor is Sam Rockwell. Oh, so, okay. Sam Rockwell would have been fine. He, yeah, he actually, cool. he would have done it. Yeah. Ama- he, amazing he in G-Force. <laughs> I think you mentioned G-Force as much as I, I do Deep Rising. <laughs> he was good. I was shocked. That, I, sh- I was shocked. It was Justin Hammer. That was the main guinea pig. I, I, I still haven't seen G Force, so you know it was. It was really good. Uh, you, 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 uh, yes, you, you've spoken ad nausea about ad nauseum about this movie outside of us recording the show. I mean, um, it's it's Jason Bateman. Might, it's it's uh, we, uh, might, uh, Steve Buscemi is in it. Um, Tracy Morgan. Uh, is it Penelope Cruz? Might be. I can't remember who the, the, the female pig is. Female guinea pig. Oh. The other one is um, John Favreau. Uh, okay. okay. So the voice cast is Sam Rockwell, Tracy Morgan, Penelope Cruz, okay. John Favreau, Nick Cage. Yep. Um, Steve Buscemi. You will never be able to, like, if you just listen to the movie, you won't be able to get it. And Nick Cage, he, they, they alter the voice so much or he yeah. alters the voice so much. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it it does have a good voice cast. It's just I don't think it, it was hamsters aren't a big uh, aren't a big thing in Australia. So for us, they're guinea pigs. They're a delicacy in Peru. <laughs> well, that's all the that's that's all the more reason to watch it then. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, okay. Sam Rockwell could have done Jack Frost pretty well. Yeah, he could have. Because um, despite his characters, a lot of his characters are actually, his voice acting characters are actually very upbeat and very, like, excitable characters. Yeah. Even though a lot of the movies he does, unless you're counting Galaxy Quest, um, is usually a little <laughs> bit more serious and a little bit more, like, dramatic. Oh, well, what about Charlie's Angels? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Nah. But, uh, his, his early film career was definitely much more on the comedic, over-the-top, fun fun side it wasn't until he started getting recognition that he went more into your serious i'm a thespian mode yeah that's true that's true but uh so tooth fairy um isla fisher uh was actually i think originally supposed to be mandy moore um okay i think that was right when she was starting to get into acting more uh then you also had meyer rudolph which would have just been a a little a little bit little sassier yeah Uh, She's great, but a little <laughs> weird considering the Tooth Fairy that we got wasn't like but that see, at all. But see, I reckon if if you know, say Maya Rudolph, okay, you know, I I think she's great in mm-hmm. Big Mouth as the voice of Connie, you know. Sure. And that's the thing: if they had gone with her, they would have redesigned the character of the Tooth Fairy to fit what she did, so we wouldn't have had the bird-like monstrosity we actually get in the movie. <laughs> I liked it how they're all based on hummingbirds. I thought that was like a neat kind of. Yeah, it's 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 a great idea, but I think touch. there's some shots where it's a close up of her as she's talking directly at the camera. 
from the point of view of Jack, and I'm just seeing seeing the thing. Yeah, that's that. That could give a kid a night. That could give kid nightmares because yeah. just the the, the pointed mm-hmm. nose with the with the scaly feathery things and yeah, yeah, tooth fixations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Gina Davis was another one. So okay, well, the, she she would have been probably a bit oh yeah, a bit more maternal than yeah. mm-hmm. the rest. I I I, I heard Natalie Portman. Or I Natalie, read Portman. Natalie Portman. Yeah, Natalie Portman was also uh, was also involved. Um, well, see, there's yeah. quite a few, quite a few. Yeah, different see, uh, also, her name is that... Toothy, Toothiana, by the way, in the book. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I I, I kind of think. <laughs> I'm just okay, reading. That's where I got Bunnyman. Bunnyman. Yeah. And Toothiana. But I, I I kind of think the two fairy character. I think it doesn't really matter what voice you have for her because. She's just there. Yeah, I mean, her, she, she, her role in the movie is very important because that's where yeah, the memories she's the are. Yeah, but she's the damsel in distress, basically. More or less, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you come to uh, Pitch. So Pitch Black, played by Jude Law. Um, mm. You also had guys like Christopher Lloyd. Um, okay. You had Sir Patrick Stewart. Okay. Um, and original cast was Jeff Goldblum. Okay, Jeff Goldblum off the mark, couldn't see it. So Patrick Stewart? Yeah, he was, serious consideration was Jeff Goldblum, if not hired and then dropped out. Well, okay. I could see he was maybe like that creepy, this, whatever, but he's not as as theatric as Jude. And Jude can get that voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely, yeah, Goldblum definitely would have been much more creepy. Yeah. Patrick Stewart? Yeah. Different character, it would have oh, he would have looked completely different. Oh yeah, and he would have been definitely a lot more over the top. It yeah. definitely would have been a grandiose performance. And Christopher sure. Lloyd, mm-hmm. yeah, Christopher Lloyd would have been creepy and sinister as hell. <laughs> yeah, but again, probably a different character because those are all older, older. So yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. Now nah. it's one of those things. There are certain movies where you hear about the casting and you just think, oh man, why didn't we get that version? This is one of those times where it's like, nah, nah, it, the casting was perfect. Yeah. And then even, uh, even Hugh Jackman is the Easter bunny. Yeah. And his character, or his, I guess, quote competition was uh, Bill Hader. Okay. Uh, Ed O'Neill. Ooh. Just Daniel Stern. Okay. So what I'm gathering is this character was supposed to be comedic. And not the badass. Yeah. But, because but see, that, he was that, really like the, f- well, him and North were really like the fighter. So he was like the ninja of the group. Yeah. And North was like the brute, like strength. Yeah. Brawler kind of. But. But because the Aussie steps in the swagger with his voice a little bit more. Oh, yeah, of that. But also he, he, you know, like I watched I mean, it last His night boomerangs were crying out loud. So, I mean. But. Yeah, I have to admit, but Easter Bunny is probably the only big problem I've got with the movie, and it's just more about the the Australian thing. Yeah. Um, but Hugh Jackman does bring the swagger, and yes, the accent, but also he does bring a lot of great comedic moments. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, I watched it with with last night. He's also recognizable and, for what it's worth. I mean, people know it's Hugh. Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah, see, that's. That's that's part of the problem as well because first time I watched it, the moment he had his first line, and he might as well have just gone "Good day, mate." He might as well have done that. 
But his first line, I've instantly got, oh, that's Hugh Jackman, and I was taking it out of the movie. Interesting. Um, and, and and that first viewing back in 2016, anytime he spoke, I always had that little disconnect where I'm going, oh, yeah, it's Hugh Jackman. It's not the Easter Bunny. It's just Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Whereas with, say, Jude Law, I know it's, you know, my head, uh, to me, yeah, it's Jude Law, 100%. You know it's Jude Law the moment he talks, but yeah. it's the character. Yeah. You know, and I think part of the problem is, that okay, yeah, Alec Baldwin doing a Russian accent, it fits that character. Isla Fisher doing her perky pixie manic dream girl kind of shtick, mm-hmm. it works for yeah, it the works character. for the character. Yeah, um, Chris Pine being Chris Pine works for the character. Yep, Jude Law works for the character. Hugh Jackman, it does not work for the character, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> sure. No, I mean I get it. I get it. And then. Um... You also had Michael Keaton involved, or considered. What's it for... called? Considered for Bunny. Okay, see, that would have been yeah. I could see that. You know, mm-hmm. he would have definitely have been able to be a badass, but also bring a lot of comedy to the role. Yeah, he could have because he's actually. I mean, if anybody has seen the other guys, uh, his his comedic performance in that movie was so good. <laughs> he was so funny in that movie. But um, I mean, he's he's a great comedic actor. He just isn't known for the roles, at all at least not in the last couple of decades. Well, yeah, not anymore. I mean, you know, like for me, Beetlejuice is a great comedic role that he just rocks so well. It's not even like, but that's kind of like comedy, as in like Adam's Family's comedy, right? No, no. To me, like to me, okay, Adam's Family. I I, I love the Adam's Family movie. Yeah, and yeah. to me, it makes me laugh. But there are certain things I watch. Beetlejuice do and I crack up laughing. Sure. You know, like there's a part where he first meets um, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. There you go. Mm-hmm. And they ask him if he can be scary and he goes, can I be scary? He turns or turns away and he says, and he has a th- thinking and, you know, and he's, he's making, as he does it, he makes the jacking off gesture, like all oh, these jerk offs <laughs> as mm-hmm. he's doing it, you know, things like that. And, and when, you know, they want to know his credentials, and he's got that rough and tumble voice. And then all of a sudden, oh, um, yes, I studied at Harvard. And it's very smooth. And, <laughs> you know, there are things where that performance is hysterical. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at his early career as a stand-up comedian. You look at Mr. Mum, he did as well. That was one of his first big movies. Yep. Um, hell, even in Batman 89, he has a good bit of comedy where he freaks out at um, Vicky Vale's apartment in front of the Joker. <laughs> it's true. You know, no matter the movie, he can always ingest it with some humor. Yeah, and then he's a phenomenal villain in Homecoming. Oh, Spider-Man. yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> it's the eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, he's just good. He's just menacing, and he's he's yeah. very he's unassuming, but he's just menacing. But he's just like he owned the role. He did such a great job in that. I was always thrilled when when I heard that he was going to be the villain who's going to be the vulture. And I'm like, yeah. Ooh, that's going to be fun. Yeah. And, then, and the uh, way that they did it with the, uh, you know, blue collar working class guy, it makes mm-hmm. total sense. It works. Yeah, it um, but we, we haven't spoken about the unsung heroes of this movie. The weird elves. Nope. Jamie. Nope. The yetis. Oh, the yetis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talk, about, talk about some great moments of comedy. The yetis steal the movie and that's hard to do when you got jude law <laughs> yeah that's true 
no, they they were good. Um, and then you had a reoccurring bit with "I don't like it, paint it red." Yes. <laughs> and then he, and those were robot toys. Later in the movie, he's painting Easter eggs, and he goes, and the bunny, "I don't <laughs> like them, paint them blue." Yeah, it's <laughs> the, like, the bunny. The bunny says. Uh, is that what it was? Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the bunny says. goes. He goes, not too red, mate. Want it blue? Yeah. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> <not> like, <laughs> yeah. It was basically if Doctor Zoidberg had a beard. Yes. Yes. Well, that, that's the thing. the 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 world building in this movie it's so subtle as well. Yeah. 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 At um, one point, Michael Bay was a producer. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so weird that this movie didn't do better than it did because it's shot beautifully. The animation is gorgeous. Yep. The lighting is awesome. The scene changes are phenomenal. The portals that they're doing. He has a snow globe and he tells it to go to the Tooth Palace. A little statue of the Tooth Palace pops up in the snow globe. He chucks it and it creates a vortex and they get sucked yep. in and they arrive at the Tooth. I mean, that's their travel. And I'm like, that is ingenious. That is so cool. And I mean, again... I don't know the books, so I'm assuming that's in William Joyce's novels. But and then uh, Bunny's Rabbit Hole, and there's there's so many cool little things, tidbits in this movie that just make it amazing. Yes. Oh yeah. And it must have been advertising. It must have been competition for release. I don't know because animated movie like this with all these actors, DreamWorks, big names involved, okay. holiday release. Okay, I, 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 can t I think I know why it wasn't as big a success as everyone, you know, as you kind of expect it to be. Sure. These are some of the other movies that came out in 2012. The Avengers. Mm -hmm. Skyfall. The Dark Knight Rises. The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. The Amazing Spider-Man. The Hunger Games. Men in Black 3. I wonder how many of those came out around Thanksgiving like this did. Uh, okay. When is Thanksgiving? Uh, end of November. Okay. Okay. So. It's the last Thursday of the month. So it's different. But uh, yeah, like, I mean, this movie did 307 million worldwide, but they said because of advertising and uh, because it didn't do so well right away, they dumped a bunch of money into advertising and did a late push to try and get it to sell uh they actually spent more than what the budget says because oh, really yeah the budget was 145 million dollars but apparently they 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 spent a boatload of extra money uh. um there's actually a little tidbit in our notes about that because when i was reading about that because i never knew how poorly this movie actually did until i was researching for this show um because i was kind of curious um, because we've talked about, uh, so it says grossed 103 million domestically, the lowest figure for a DreamWorks animation film since the Prince of Egypt, 1998. Um, DreamWorks has not had a good run and that's why they're not around anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so it says, although the film made over 300 million worldwide, it actually lost DreamWorks about $80 million because of its high budget. Its failure was instrumental in the company having to lay off 300 members of staff. Jeez. This was a big downfall for the company, and yeah. I don't think they ever recovered. I think this okay. was kind of the kind of the end. Well, yeah, that's sad. But okay, just this is the movies that came out in November. Okay. Okay. So November second, we had Wreck It Ralph. Okay. Um, 
Huge animated movie. uh, Sorry, November 2nd, sorry. November 9th, Lincoln from Steven Spielberg and Skyfall. Jeez. November 16th was Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. Still massive. Also Silver Linings Playbook. Okay. 21st of November was Life of Pi. Right. which was also the same day as Rise of the Guardians came out. The 23rd, it was the movie Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins. Wow. Oh. Then we had in December, December 14th was The Hobbit. Jeez. Desolation of Smaug? Uh, unexpected Journey. Oh, Unexpected Journey. Okay. So it really, it was squeezed it just, between it a Bond got, movie got and... Killed. Yeah. So it was it, the release schedule. And of course... DreamWorks wouldn't have been able to go, yeah, you know, let's wait until Bond and, you know. So it was just bad timing, really, more than anything else. Yeah, I wonder if they could have pushed it to Christmas. No, it was probably even bigger movies coming out, honestly. Um, for Christmas? Okay. Honestly, <laughs> imagine if they had, like, actually scheduled this to be an Easter release, like a spring okay, release. Yep. So, it would have made more sense. All right. So for December, December 19th, Zero Dark Thirty, 21st, Jack Reacher, 25th, you had Django Unchained and Les Mis. Yikes. So even a Christmas release would would have killed it as well. So the Jack Reacher movie was like two-thirds of Jack Reacher was in that movie. (laughs) It's a good little action movie, that one. If you, if you, I've never, Tom Cruise is in it, it's little. I've, I've, I've never, I've never read the Jack he's, Reacher book. He's a so good, li- good I, little actor. Did <laughs> you see? Did you see his promotion for part one of the new Mission Impossible duology? Oh, talking about doing the jump when he actually did it. Yeah, yeah, I saw all that. Yeah, that was insane. Oh yeah, I, 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 that was know, I saw top. I saw so top anyone listening that. to this, look up Tom Cruise jumping out of a helicopter. And oh, you're talking skydiving. about skydiving? No, yeah, he's okay. skydiving out of a helicopter. While talking to the camera about the movie, ah, he's okay. mid-flight they, and he's talking about right. it. I'm like, dude, this nah, guy's nah. insane. That, nah, <laughs> nah. They actually released it's a nine-minute-long thing, and it, and in oh no, this was short. Oh, nah, I've seen that one, but it, on YouTube, it's a uh, Mission Impossible kind of behind-the-scenes thing, and it's in the new Mission Impossible movie. They've got what's what they're calling the biggest stunt in history, which is basically Tom Cruise on a motocross bike doing this massive jump, and from the jump off a cliff, he goes into a base jump and a parachute. Okay, and they filmed this in Norway, no harness because they can't use a safety harness just because of the size of everything. So it's a nine minute long promo, and they talk about him practicing, rehearsing with figuring out everything with the stunt. And then actually, when they filmed the stunt for when they actually had to film the stunt and everything, his preparation he had to learn how to drive a motocross bike, right? He did 13,000 um, motocross bike jumps in his training. To, with with just with doing the um, learning how to base jump, so with the should, parachute and all that, they should probably just ask Travis Pastrana yeah. <laughs> for the base jumping stuff. He did. He got to a point where he's training. He was doing thirty jumps a day. Yeah, and then when they actually went to Norway to film the actual stunt itself, he did it six times in the day. <laughs> There's a reason he's Tom Cruise. <laughs> I know, but the Nitro Circus guys do that daily. Okay, yes, but here's the thing. Nobody will go see them in a movie because know, they, you know, it's, that's the it's, pro- it's a minuscule stunt. 
It's not the biggest stunt. The Dexter Circus guys have been doing that for 20 years. Travis Pastrana has been jumping into the Grand Canyon off off a motorcycle and skydiving. Is that in a movie, though? No, but the point is, is it's not the biggest stunt. No, it's the biggest stunt in cinema history. That's how. That's what they're saying, and it is the biggest stunt in cinema history. I guess. <laughs> I've I've only seen like forty other people do it, so it's not that. Yeah, but it's not on a. But you're seeing it in real life. You're not seeing it on a movie screen. There's a big difference. I guess I'm sure I've seen Austin Powers do something just as cool. <laughs> CG. <laughs> I mean, he he jumped over a helicopter while shooting two machine guns and then landed on his feet. Does, does anybody understand where I'm going with this right now? It was actually Tom Cruise at the beginning of Goldmember. That was stunt, and then he landed, and he was Tom Cruise. <laughs> I, I think I think I think you've mentioned Goldmember. In two episodes consecutively now. Uh, I said Goldfinger, and then you said Goldmember. Well, yeah, that's because when you were talking about it, the way you were talking about it, you said Austin Powers first, and then you said Goldmember. So, no, yeah, I said Goldfinger, and then you said Goldmember, and then you got confused because you said Austin Powers. I don't think I don't know about that, but let's have instant replay. Yeah, (laughs) last week's episode. (laughs) Yeah, somebody hit it, but um, no, yeah. So it's just I'm still shocked at this didn't do as good honestly yeah yeah it, i really am it, oh yeah i mean when i when i you know because i had never heard of it until 2016 so that tells you a lot about how yeah. it was in the zeitgeist but it does have now have a quite a cult following it is quite beloved now which is unfortunate yeah. that it didn't happen when it first came out yeah because this was a a, a, a book series so i'm yeah. assuming that depending on its success you would have gotten sequels Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, they, they were, um, they were working on a sequel. Like they had sequel plans, and like yeah, everything in Hollywood, it didn't make make the money to warrant it. No, absolutely not. There's no way that they could have done it, honestly. But unless oh, it was going to be like a cheap straight to DVD, yeah, you know, horror. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that would have been. But awful. See, I, in 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 a way, I would have loved to have seen more adventures with Jack Frost and everyone. But I'm also really glad we didn't get sequels. Yeah, Maybe it makes this one look, a little more special. It makes it more special. Also, you look at the How to Train Your Dragon movies. With each sequel, it's kind of gone in, eh. With the Ice Age movies, it's the sequels that you kind of go, eh. With Pixar sequels, you really kind of go, eh, except for Toy Story 2, which was pretty good. Um, yeah, that was a great one, in my opinion. That was awesome. Well, yeah. You know, you're, you're, there is the diminishing, the, you know, the rule of diminishing return. So if we had gotten mm. more Guardian movies, yeah, it was, it would have been, it would have been great, but eventually we would have all got just gone, oh, well, who cares? Yeah. It's like, how are you going to beat Pitch Black again? Yeah. Like, who, how can a villain get better than Jude? Like, the, it was so good, unless he comes yeah. back and then gets repowered or whatever. But at the and same point, case, you're sitting here going, yeah, then it cheapens the first movie. Yeah, you've been there, done that before. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And of course, honestly, there is a main cast member we haven't um, mentioned because oh, he doesn't have a single line in the movie. And this yes. is this, oh, this, the, the portrayal of the Sandman was beautiful. Yes, yes. he's a mute. Um, he doesn't speak. He speaks through uh, symbology that he casts with the sand. Yeah. And I loved watching him trying to like rapid fire 
like say Explain what happened everything. and it's just a bunch of symbols flashing across yep. his head and, and jack frost is yeah not really helping <laughs> yeah he's like i don't get it yeah <laughs> but he was the central character of the movie when you really think about it because yes he was the only one powerful enough to go toe to toe with pitch yeah. because because yeah. pitch is uh boogeyman for instance uh, for anyone but they call him pitch in the movie pitch black um his magic his sorcery was based off of sandman as yep. far as the sand turning dreams into nightmares which is awesome yep. an awesome concept by the way still so and, and, amazing and having having them actually become literal horses is even mm -hmm. better yeah yeah it was really really well done like i said there's so many cool things about this and the lines where he goes uh he goes come we'll take my sleigh and Jack's like, I'm not getting on any rickety sleigh. And then the doors open, and you see these demonic, angry, pissed off reindeer with sharpened you mean proper proper reindeers. <laughs> no, I know, but these things they have the sharpened antlers. Their, their oh, hooves are like yep. they're they're matted down. They're ragged looking. They look like feral beasts. And then the sleigh pulls out, and it looks like this muscle car from Doom. Yeah, and, and you're just like, whoa. And Jack's yeah. like. All right, one ride, and and he's like, everyone, everyone loves this sleigh. <laughs> yep, yeah, and then there's a great callback because at the end of the movie, the kids see, you know, the group of kids that, that help help them, they see the um sleigh, and they're all like, wow, that's Santa's sleigh, and the and the bunny goes, everybody loves the sleigh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There were there were a lot of really good like heartfelt kind of um, moments where, uh, like. They talk about uh, earlier in the movie. They talk about the blizzard of '68 on Easter Day. Uh -huh. That was a real event. So, and that was just kind of cool. But then later in the movie, Jack apologizes for it. Yeah, and oh. Bunny's like, "Ah, don't worry about it." You know, because at this point now they're all close. They're all, they're chummy, all yeah. chummy. Um, there were a lot of really neat little scenes, and uh, the opening of the movie was beautiful with Jack yep. as a human, and. Yeah, his when he died uh, saving his sister yeah, and then which we don't find out until actually yeah later in the movie but yeah uh yeah because in the beginning of the movie he's just already in the water he's in yeah. the frozen lake yeah, and it's him, it's uh, him becoming jack frost manny empowers him and yeah it was neat where you have him and the tooth fairy uh talking <coughs> about his memories and his teeth and like the childhood memories um and uh when she goes, oh yeah, I mean, we all have them from when before we were guardians. And yeah. he goes before because he has no memory of who he was before, and you know he just thought he was born as Jack Frost, and he wasn't. He was just we don't even know who he was. Uh, we're assuming yeah. I think his name was Jack though. Um, yeah, it was Jack because you heard the sister call his name. Yeah, uh, Jack. I'm scared, Jack. Yeah, uh, but that was it. Was there's a lot of really <coughs> excuse me, really neat moments in this. Um, movie and it's all about belief and that's was really cool because the whole idea with this movie was pitch trying to make the children of the world fall out of belief yep. for these particular characters so then he can take over because these characters these guardians are what's keeping pitch from doing it and yep. and that's where the nightmares come into play and easter the easter bunny doesn't show up the tooth fairy doesn't show up and they stop believing in these characters. And that's Jack. The whole movie, nobody believes in him. And he's trying to figure out what he can do for to be seen. And uh, that was Pitch flipped, saying, yep. I'm sick of not being seen. And I'm so it's kind of they're very because much 
Well, yeah. see, unlike Jack, who has never been seen, you know, because there's a great bit where um, Pitch talks about, you know, the, the Dark Ages, ages. the Dark yeah. Ages' favorite time because he was it. You know, everyone was yeah. afraid. Everyone was scared. Everyone afraid he, of the dark. Yeah. And he reigned supreme. And, you know, he would have been seen. He was, you know, people would have seen him. They would have been afraid of him. And then the man in the moon created the Guardians yep. to, 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 to enter that. So, you know, to me, pitch, it always sounded like pitch was the first. Yeah. You know, he was there before the others. And then to, you know, the man in the moon saw the terror and the fear. And he went, no, got to put it into that. Let's bring some wonder. Let's make this a better world. So he created Santa Claus. He created the bunny, the two fairies. So mm-hmm. they, you know, so the world had something better. Yeah. The world had something better. Exactly. And, and uh, yeah, we you kind of mentioned it a bit earlier about the, um, the those heartfelt moments, um, and yeah, this movie like there are certain movies where they have a heartfelt moment. You sit there and think, nah, this wasn't earned. Every moment in this movie, whether it was heartfelt, it was comedy, it was a deep, meaningful moment. It was all earned. The setup yeah. and the payoffs were fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the last the last major conversation was between uh, Jamie who is the central youth of the movie, the central yep. kid of the movie, and Jack, who ha- kind of was going out of his way to try and get Jamie to believe in him. He was like the one kid that he was like really, really, because they, they, uh, Jamie lives in the town that Jack is from yep. 300 years prior. And so this is where Jack still lives. Um, so, hi, Titus. And... Uh, <laughs> But there's a great there's a great scene where the two of them are having a heart to heart because Jack is leaving because his job yep. is done, and uh, but he's just going back into the uh, going back into the the shadows I guess to allow the world to turn as it's supposed to. Uh, and Jamie goes, "You're leaving, but what if Pitch comes back? What if we can't? What if we stop believing? I can't. What if I can't see you?" And Jack, Frost, Jack is like, hey, slow down, slow down. Are you telling me you stop believing in the moon when the sun comes up? And Jamie's like, no. He goes, okay, well, do you stop believing in the sun when the clouds block it out? And Jamie goes, no. Jack goes, we'll always be there, Jamie. And now we'll always be here. And he taps Jamie's chest. And Jack goes, which kind of makes you a guardian too. And it it's just really great kind of moving really like beautiful finish yeah and and for because that's movie, that's belief in a nutshell is oh, just yeah. because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist yeah and that's and, it, it's gorgeous i loved it it's it's a, like you watch some kids movies and you know all kids movies has a message or they have a lesson sure. in you know and sometimes it's like okay that's cool or it's like well that's very heavy-handed here it's just delivered perfectly yeah it's wonder it's it's just it's just believing in something grand yeah it's not uh you know like uh sacrificing yourself for the greater good of humanity or blah 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 because at the beginning you get that with jack sacrificing himself to save his sister i mean that's a heavy moment and then when he realizes it it's a heavy moment but his transition into the good guy, the hero versus the rebel that he was, because he was never a bad guy. He was just no. a rebel. He, he was fun. He was just having fun. He was yeah, for him, yeah. That's that. He that, was that's bored. It. He was confused. He was well. Also, you know, you look at the period of time when he was a human. He 
you know, had to, you know, he was trying to protect his um, sister and his family from the darkest darkness that was around. So, mm-hmm. you know, he was constantly making up games and having fun with them. Yep. So for him, and that becomes, and he realizes that is his center. It is having fun. It is. That's how he, that's how he protected his sister by distracting her with a game and having fun. And so, you know, and me and he saw that. Yeah. Me and he saw um, that. Yeah. And it's a great center to have. It, is. it really is. And there's some other really good lines. Like one of them's funny is um, when they kidnap Jack. Uh, so Santa Claus, North's Yetis kidnap Jack and bring him in, uh, bring him to Santa's workshop. And uh, he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Give me a second. Uh, I've been trying to break into this place for years. And he goes, years you have? And he goes, well, yeah, I never got in. I couldn't get past the Yetis. And one of the Yetis looks at him and goes, and he goes, oh, hey, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Those little throwaway moments are great. And I mean, we... we, But there's also, am I on the naughty list? And he goes, and Frost or uh, North is like, naughty list? You hold record. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And... He's not. He's, he's not a bad guy. He's just no. He's, no. He's, he's a, he's a kid. He's a he kid. He really is. Yeah, he's like seventeen or eighteen, is yeah. what they guessed. Because there's never really an age, but they they said based no. on. So yeah, but he's yeah, a, he, he's yeah. an older teen. Yeah, and he's mischievous. Of course, so of course, you know, like him being Jack Frost, you can't go. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, you know, watch, rewatching it last night, I focused on the music in the movie because it's got a great theme. Mm-hmm. The Guardians theme is really good. Pitch's theme is good, and I and you know I was like, okay, who who wrote the music? Because you you kind of think, okay, it's an animated movie, so it's got to be some just some workhorse, every a journeyman composer. It was Alexander Desplat. Wow, who yeah. did the last two Pirates movies? Um, so okay, he did just very quickly. He did. He did um, Dead Men Tell No Tales. I think he may have done the one. No, no, not not uh, Harry okay. Potter. Harry Potter. Just, he just did Deathly. Quickly. I think he did Deathly, Deathly Hollows. I think. Okay, he did Fantastic Mr. Fox. He did The Curious Case of Benjamin Butter. Butter. He did The Deathly Hallows Part One. Benjamin part Butter two. would have been a completely different movie. The King's Speech. <laughs> okay. He did. Um, he did My Week with Marilyn. He did Moonrise Kingdom. He did Zero Dark Thirty. He did The Grand Budapest Hotel. He did Godzilla Twenty Fourteen. He did the Danish girl. He did the secret life of pets. <laughs> he did Valerian and the city of a thousand planets. <laughs> yep. Cape of yep. water for Del Toro. So this is a guy who has been all over the spectrum with what he composes. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I'm. I'm on the same. Uh, I'm on the same list as you. I'm pretty sure he did. Because I was just doing. Um, uh, music uh stuff for a later show <laughs> oh he also did oh he only did one episode uh troll hunters tales of arcadia that was actually yeah. a very good animated show uh Guillermo del toro so, yeah so you know like he, he you know in the rise of the guardians the music he did is very much like a classic superhero almost rompy adventure kind of musical score mm-hmm. oh harry potter i was right yeah, he did both Deathly Hallows, but yeah. not nothing to do with Pirates of the Caribbean. No, I was thinking because I was I built a, I've been building um, movie score playlists mm-hmm. um, 
so I have a I have a movie score playlist that is like a bunch of different ones. Yep. And then I also have franchise playlists. Uh, so okay. I have like Uncharted. So I have all five games from Uncharted in one playlist. And while I'm working, I tell my she devil, I don't say her name because I set her off, but it's the <laughs> it's the Amazon one. Because um, right. I have nine of them in my house. So when I say it, my entire house blows up. Um, <laughs> so I'll tell her to play that and shuffle it. And it's literally yep. just five and a half hours of Uncharted music. And it's that nice. rompy boom, boom, and yeah. action adventure stuff. Well, I also have one for Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. So I have six uh-huh. movies, which those are much longer. So that's like six and a half hours of music, maybe seven hours of music. Uh, I just built one for Pirates. So there's five movies, which is mm-hmm. weird because it's three different composers. Um, yep. So they have they all have these different feels to them. Oh, especially um, the... Um... There was there was the one where it was Hans Zimmer working with um, a guitar du- duo. Yeah, uh, Rodrigo and and Gabriella. Gabriella, that was uh, was that that was the one with black. Tales? No, that was the Blackbeard one on Stranger Tides. On Stranger Tides. Yeah. Um, because they had a Spanish actress in it. <laughs> that was the only reason. <laughs> it had nothing to do. Yeah, with but the, I, I'm Ponce, I mean, it had something to do with Ponce de Leon, but I mean. Yeah, it was the fountain the, of youth. youth. Yeah. And and honestly, I'm a fan of Rodrigo and Gabriela, you know, Mexican artists. But yeah, I also put together um, one for Harry Potter recently uh, because oh, I've, okay. listened, I've listened to like the original scores from like maybe the first two movies and yep. they're beautiful and they're cool. Well, it's but, um, yeah, yeah. And then, but those have had three, maybe four different composers in seven movies. Um, yeah. So with um, Duplat doing the last two, but uh, so again, it's kind of different feel, different outlook on the theme of the movie. Cause you know, as, and directors have changed. So as the directors change, the feel of the movie changes, which means yep. the music has to change. So that's where it gets a little funky with the soundtrack is when you have wildly different themes in those so movies. You've got it on shuffle and then all of a sudden you can't go, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, that's, um, that's what happens with Captain America. So the uh-huh. Captain America movies, because the first one was not Henry Jackman, but Winter Soldier and Civil War were. And Henry Henry Jackman tends to go a little bit more modern with the music. He'll have more electronic in some stuff. He'll have yep. more drums. He'll have like more actual like guitars. Like it'll have like more like it's more aggressive. Uh, where the the first movie <laughs> was scored. I'm trying to remember who it was scored by. Um, I'm looking it up Captain right America. now. It wasn't Alan Silvestri. Yes, it was. It was Alan Silvestri. I knew it was, a, it was. It was a. It was a classic composer. I was going to say it's somebody that's in the more like classic realm, which Silvestri would definitely qualify. Yeah. But um, y- you do these playlists and you listen to them and you can really pick out. Who's and that's who? like, yeah, because we always talk about scores. And when I put on my other one and it's a shuffle of all the different movies a key for me is when I stop what I'm doing and look at my screen to read it. And I'm like, I don't stop and look at all of them. So there's like right. certain ones where I look up and then I look cause I'm like, Oh, this is so good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. And, and uh, I mean, same thing with, for me, Bond, um, mm-hmm. you know, listening to say, okay, you listen to the, to John Barry who created the Bond score kind of blueprint. You listen to his stuff and yep. You know, it's his, you listen to say David Arnold, and yeah, you know he's got he's got a very modern bombastic sound, but still with the John Barry feel. And he did the first two Daniel Craig movies, 
So if you make it a playlist of the Daniel Craig era Bond soundtracks, you get David Arnold doing two amazing scores. And then you get Thomas Newman coming in for Skyfall Inspector. And it's a completely different score sound altogether. It doesn't have any of the bombastic elements you expect from Bond. And then with No Time to Die, which is you know the final Craig movie, you get Hans Zimmer. And yeah, making that playlist and you put on shuffle, you're like, yep, this is great. This is great. Yep, it's David Arnold. And then all of a sudden you go, well, that's very mediocre, not mediocre, but it's very anticlimactic after bombastic and over the top. You go, yeah, that's Thomas Newman. And then you kind of get the, Bwam. yep, that's Hans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hans is like <laughs> throwing it in your face. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. which is unfortunate because, you know, he's put out some great scores. Yeah. Um, so we didn't really talk about because it's it's based on a series of books, uh, mm. children's novels. But the actual screenwriter um, is an interesting fellow because his name is David Lindsay Abair. Yes. And when you look at his credits, he actually fits this mold really well. But I wouldn't necessarily say in the most positive way possible because his 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 credits don't really have a ton of massive hits. But they're all uh, a little more fantastical. You have Robots, which um, was Robin Williams, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, You have Inkheart. Um, Good movie. Good heart. Yeah, good good movie. That's uh, Brendan, right? Yeah, that's a Brendan Fraser one. Yeah. Um, I need to see that again because I love Brendan, and that was 2008, so that was prime Brendan still. Um, uh, He did Rise Rise of the Guardians. He did Oz the Great and Powerful, Shrek the Musical. Um, <laughs> the, the new version of Poltergeist for what it's worth. But, um, so like there's some in here that kind of all have that very kind of fanciful, like very just the, their the fantasy. wonder. <laughs> yeah. The wonder. Yeah. So it was like, okay. And he had done Inkheart, uh, was his first, was the major movie he did before rise. So I'm like, yeah, okay. I can see that. So I just thought it would be worth mentioning because well, see, um, even um, William Joyce, who wrote the, the book, you know, he's had a career. He wrote, um, okay, you know, his first credited screen, screen story was uh, 1997's Buddy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. He, um, he wrote the book, A Day of Wilbur Robinson, that Disney used to do Meet Robinsons in 2007. That was a great movie, and I mean yeah. that was that was that he wrote he wrote the book too, I believe, right? Yes, he did. So you know, and yeah. you know, there was another he one he wrote, wrote that was turned into a movie too. Um, um, epic, epic, which was based off his daughter. His yeah, daughter. the Leaf Men and the Brave Good Bugs. That was the book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and before that, well, not before that, he's also worked as a character designer for three movies as well. Yeah, yeah. The main character in Epic was based off of William Joyce's. Uh, late daughter who died of cancer um, and or Rise of the guardians is dedicated to yes yes so uh mk uh for uh you epic fans yeah. uh that was a cool movie too but um i haven't seen it yeah it was cool um but yeah uh so yeah so, I, I like i said just to kind of i guess kind of wrap it up a little bit i mean yeah, i was I, su- I, super impressed with the movie Yep, I 100% recommend it for anybody. It's not just yes. a holiday movie. I mean, it's really no. not. It's it's a great movie. It's it's actually an Easter movie. If I had to put anything, 
Uh, it's still it, a holiday movie then. It's a holiday movie. No, it is. Yeah. It is. It's just not Christmas. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a beautifully shot movie. Uh, like you said, yeah. the, the, the lighting was great. It's 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 full of wonder. It's just it's a good movie. I, I just yeah. I've always liked it. Yep, always yep. liked same. It. Same here. Since from the moment I first saw it, for me, uh, yep, it's it's a go-to movie, and I don't know why, but it is a go-to movie for Christmas. <laughs> no, I mean we watched it. I mean I, I've watched it a uh, a couple of times since the calendar rolled over. You know, I mean we we've watched it at least twice, maybe two and yeah. a half times, because my kids see it. You know, it's it's a little darker because you know it, it's not a joyful. Well, no, no, because it's and... it's not technically. You know, it doesn't have that typical the christmas veneer. feel to it yeah, yeah yeah no it's it's just i don't know it's a good movie yeah. and and yeah yeah honestly i, I agree 100 it is a good movie um and yeah if you've not seen it that's something you need to fix oh yeah absolutely absolutely and um so before we get out of here uh what was your what was your actual favorite part of the movie i always like to talk about this because there's like specific yes. parts that always stand out okay um favorite part of the movie drew law um <laughs> yeah it's drew law but also it's that conversation between north and jack about what your center is yeah that was good that that's it how about you <laughs> uh i mean besides the final action sequence with sandy coming oh, back yeah. and yeah. yeah in the city at night with the kids helping that was cool because of yep. the kids standing up against fear and being basically all powerful. Now it yep. was, it was a touch. It was a really cool way to do it. Cause you're like, ah, but then you're sitting here going, this entire movie is about belief. Yeah. So it makes sense and the, that and fear and the kids are not scared of him. Yeah. They are not scared of the boogeyman. So the boogeyman has no power over them. Yep. And you're just like, Whoa, that is so that's a, cause that's a cool concept. Again, great concept, you know, yeah. William. I mean, awesome job. But my favorite part was probably when the uh, Tooth Palace gets robbed, and that's when you get your first major introduction to Pitch. Oh, yes. Like yeah. when he, okay. he pops out of the shadows, and he's talking about the Dark Ages, and he's talking yeah. about – and that's where you really get Jude in his performance. Because the only oh, time yeah. you've seen Pitch since then, I think, was on the Globe. Uh, it was on the Globe, and then you saw him actually um... – the bully, the big bully character, uh, Cupcake. Uh, Cupcake. He's oh, having that. a dream of a unicorn, and he—that's his first appearance where he turns it into a nightmare, and then he says, yeah. "Go tell the others, our time is now." Yeah. So yeah, but you get that you get that Jude performance in the Tooth Palace, oh, yeah. the, the great monologue, sinister, <laughs> the great monologue, villain, classic villain monologue. Yeah. And it was just—it was perfectly done. Like I said, the characters nailed it in this movie. Um, we went over the character lists on who could have played these. There were a couple that may have been able to do it. But it would have been different, though. It would have been different. It would have been different. I, I, I think the cast we got, everything we got for this movie, it was what it needed. It was perfect. It I think just, Sam Rockwell was probably the only casting that wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And that's a maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, um, the only thing, only problem with the movie was the fact that it came out at a – Stuck between wrong. a really, really wrong period of movies. <laughs> yeah, and DreamWorks had already been struggling, so there was this yep. was probably like, a, no, this has to be a holiday release. Yeah. Um. In at least what I would have done is pushed it and just gotten out of the holidays because you're you're just an animated movie 
unless it's Disney. I mean, let's face it, unless it's Disney, especially you're talking 10 years ago, Disney, not well, Walt Disney. The, 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 uh, the big Disney movie, okay, apart from Wreck-It Ralph. It was Wreck-It Ralph. Disney? Well, also, same year, earlier in the year, 2012, you had Brave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but so, I'm just yeah. talking that that setting. So November, yeah. <laughs> you had Wreck-It Ralph come out, and you're just like, well, see, but then all those but, other movies, and you're sitting here going, man, that's... That's rough, man. You're, ah, just... I just I just had a quick look because I was curious to see, okay, it you know, what would have happened if they had released it in 2013? Yeah, it would have gotten smashed in 2013 just because 2013 was the year Frozen came out. Yeah, but it, 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 for me, it, it all depends on when. Well, yeah, true. So even um, if it got pushed to like January, February, just to get out of the holiday season, because a lot yeah. of movies, a lot of movies avoid the after holiday stuff because of the hangover yeah. that people but see, have but, from but see, even then, entertainment. If they pushed it to January, February, it it still might have died. It could have died worse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it, it, it may have only it may have been the only dog in town at least. So true, true. So that, that's still, all I'm thinking of. But um, but yeah, oh, look, it is what it is. Obviously, yeah. it's ten years ago, so can't. Hey, we 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 we're lucky we got this movie to begin with. And honestly, it's kind of writing on the wall when you think about it because. This is the reason DreamWorks isn't in business anymore, doing animated. When you really think about still, it, I they are still doing the um, How to Train Your Dragon stuff. Uh, I don't believe uh, it might be labeled under them, but it's not. I believe it is. Uh, did they get absorbed by Amblin? Um, it's um, not Universal. Yeah, Universal. Yeah, it, they a lot of their projects got absorbed by other production. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, DreamWorks Animation is now a subsidiary of Universal Pictures. There you go. So there you go. Yep. Yeah, okay. So it's still all, all that is all that is is ownership over <laughs> ownership over. Every, yeah, that's all yeah. it is. So. Oh well. But uh, uh, so please like and subscribe to the show. Uh, big deal for us um, as we grow. Uh, we are getting some decent traffic on our show, so we are very happy to see that. Thank you guys for listening for liking. Yay. Um join our facebook group uh facebook.com slash groups slash armchair directors podcast uh fun group lots of activity especially if you're a movie uh movie buff movie nerd like we are yeah it's surprising how active it is very good way (laughs) yeah and not just us we get a lot of our listeners posting stuff about random movies um i mean i also just like to throw stuff in there because i know it's you're going to get a a a little a little jab or a little laugh or a little i know i'm going to get a reaction out of it um like saying the Hobbit's better than Lord of the Rings, um, yeah, so but there's certain I, things that I do purposefully because no, I know I'm going to get a rise out of it. Not that, but there's no. I also, <laughs> I also do believe that. Uh, uh, hey, I just interviewed um, Philip Tommaso, uh, or I interviewed him a few weeks ago on my other podcast, but the episode released uh, last week, and uh, he agreed with me. He enjoyed the Hobbit trilogy more. Uh, not okay. that he didn't like Lord of the Rings, he just liked the Hobbit more. See, okay, so there's two people who don't have taste when it comes to movies. Okay, good to know. <laughs> well, he said it was me too. He said the same thing as I did. He said Martin Freeman put it over the top, and the joint effort of the trolls all fighting for the same thing, the same heritage, the same culture, meant more to him. And it was just because they you were all the tro- elves. No, the dwarves. Oh, I heard trolls. <laughs> oh, dwarves. Sorry, I may have slurred. But uh, the, the, the dwarves um, fighting for the same thing, fighting for entrance to the Lonely Mountain. 
And yeah. it was kind of one of those things where fighting for their, because that was their culture that got robbed. It wasn't just their home. And there was like a lot to it where Lord of the Rings, it was a fellowship. It was, it was, you know, the ring. Yeah, they had the, they had the bigger mission. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great, but it yeah. was just, you know, that was oh something that he had talked about, which I, I agreed with. I just liked the idea of all of the dwarves um, fighting for the same thing and fighting for their, like their heritage uh, versus anything else. Cause most of the dwarves didn't care about the treasure under the mountain. They just wanted their home back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I just thought that was kind of a, that was a great, uh, a great mission to go on. But, uh, once more has little to nothing to do with rise of the guardians. I oh, know. Cause well, we finished talking about rise of the guardians. So, you know, now you're just wasting everyone's time. No, that's true. It's true. Um, but I will hint at something that you and I have been talking about the last couple of days, uh, mm -hmm. probably the last 24 hours, uh, because that's what we do here on Armchair Directors, is we come up with ideas and immediately go, we're doing this, yes. uh, which was basically <laughs> the premise for this show. Um, yes. <laughs> go back and listen to the first episode and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, hey, Rich, you want to do a movie po podcast? Sure. When yes. you want to record the first episode, uh, what does 48 hours look like for you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> And here we are. But um, Rich and I, we don't know format. We don't know what we're doing. But we are going to dedicate an entire show. This won't be for another three, four weeks probably. But mm -hmm. we are going to dedicate an entire show to our favorite scores. So our favorite movie scores. Our yep. scores in general. Because as media has changed, uh, you're getting some amazing music outside of just straight up cinema. So, yeah, so you're saying that so you include the Uncharted game soundtracks. That's all the reason you're saying that. <laughs> uh, I mean, one of my favorite scores, period, is Ludwig Gordonson from The Mandalorian. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. I mean, you hear that and you're just like... Oh, that's just Ennio Morricone. <laughs> I know, but you hear that and then... You're just like, man, that's good. It's good. I mean, there's... there's okay, so, we're, so we're just doing... Scores from just, mass media. Yeah, yeah. It's just entertainment scores because, I mean, yep. there's, I mean, a lot of the TV shows coming out right now have great music. And I'm talking True. like the, the, the streaming stuff mostly, but yeah, um, just because of budget and whatever. But uh, that's why it's like, and, and honestly, video games in general, because, I mean, if you want to go back further, I'm not even talking Uncharted. You have to talk Halo. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Hell, even, even the original Doom, yeah. um, the music for the original Doom game. Yeah, way back when, and you know, and then you look at what Mick Gordon did with uh, that and the music he for uh, the new Wolfenstein game. So yeah, okay, game game soundtracks have come a long way, but they've always been banging. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. They've been fantastic, especially the last 10, 15 years. Just as yeah. well, it's the industry. So the gaming industry yeah. is massive. So you're getting these huge budgets, which is allowing for great composition. And that's what I talked about with uh, Uncharted Four and Uncharted Five. Is you have the entrance of Henry Jackman, who's like, why are you doing Uncharted 5? Well, they are, they already did. It's the Lost Legacy. Ah, okay. Uh, it was the, to me, that's, that's a, that's a spinoff. So it's not part of It's a spinoff, but it's the, yeah. it's the Uncharted saga. It's a, the series, but, uh, but he did, he did the sound, he did the move, their music for it. So it was like, you know, you had, uh, Greg, uh, Ruben, um, 
Oh, we went through this last time. We talked about the composer <laughs> of the first four, first three games. It's Greg um, something Edmondson. Edmondson. Yeah, Greg Edmondson, who did the first three games and then was supplanted by Henry Jackman for whatever reason. I'm not sure. Uh, so again, Henry Jackman is he's he's not a um, quote video like game. I mean, he is a huge movie composer. And uh, the fact that he entered to do those games, I was like, oh, they're not kidding. So, but uh, so Rich and I are going to do an entire show dedicated to our favorite movie scores. Um, we'll probably do a few different topics because we talked off air. Um, our list changes when it goes our favorite individual score versus our favorite movie music. Because, like, like and for those who don't understand what when he says individual score, he means individual songs from the score. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it it changes because you have like like Jurassic Park, for instance, is a perfect example, right? Uh-huh. So there's six movies in that franchise, correct? The yep. only the only thing I can ever think of with that entire franchise is the original Jurassic Park theme. So is it the Jurassic, is it the Jurassic Park franchise, the music I love, or is it just the one movie? It's the one movie. (laughs) Exactly. So, yep. So chances are our list will have multiple lists. Like we'll have favorite overall score, favorite song from scores, favorite composer. (laughs) Yeah. And that's where I was going to do a weird two man draft. Oh. So, you know, like any sports teams when they draft new players. So I pick, you pick, Mm. I pick, you pick. So what I wanted to do was do a five-man draft. So we have a team of five. Okay. And we each draft thematically something from this. So I don't know what it's going to be. Our favorite composers, our favorite scores, our favorite this. And then we put our teams up against each other and make the people in our Facebook group vote on who they like better. Oh, hell yeah. Let's do that. But I'm not quite sure how I want to work it out, though, because it's uh, like favorite I'd scores say, is sometimes tough. I would say do composers. And then then say, fa- so you start with your composer, favorite composer. Then you but go, you can get favorite. railroaded with that sometimes because when you're, when you're talking, like we'll call it just the strength of your team. I don't, there's one score, okay, two scores that are in, that are from the same guy. So say I'm talking John Williams at this point. Well, yeah. But he's a cheap number one pick. Well, see, but if, but if you because say, his say, filmography is so dense and massive. And that's why if you say five, top five, com- your favorite composers, then what you mean is you can listen to any movie they've scored. That's what yeah. that means. You're, you're, well, so you example, get a guy like that who's been in the industry for 50 years. Yep. So you can say John Williams, but he's you know, you, more, quote, you valuable say, than another composer who's yeah, that's fine. like, like you, Claus Bedelt. Uh-huh. He, his fine, filmography is very small, but he's massive with what he did with Curse of the Black Pirates. Pearl. Yeah. But say, so, you know, I don't think we should limit ourselves to who we can pick and choose. If you honestly want to say John Williams is, your, is, in your, is on your team, you say John Williams is on your team. You know, for, because, for example, okay, for me, Danny Elfman, he's on there. Also, Basil Polidurus is on there. Mm-hmm. You know, and Basil Polidurus, he's on there mainly for what he did with Conan the Barbarian. But he's, he's sure. produ- he pre- before he died, he produced some great scores. Same as Jerry Goldsmith. 
Yeah, I was just say Jerry Goldsmith. I was going to say the guy from The Mummy. So yeah, Jerry yeah, Goldsmith. Yeah. So that's the thing. Um, you know, so I'd say you start with your your favorite composer, and then you go, okay, favorite composer, then favorite movie they have scored, and then you can go favorite song. So you just work it down that way. Yeah, because favorite score, like one of my favorite scores of all time, was was done by uh, Greg Edmondson, and that was yep. the original theme to Uncharted, and yep. I love it. I mean, it's it's phenomenal, but is he my favorite composer? Absolutely freaking not. It's yep. just because well, there's there's okay. so many more and, from other people. And 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 yeah, uh, yeah. And for me, see, whenever I say favorite score, I'm talking about the whole shebang from that yeah. you know, movie or game. And then my see, favorite but that's song. where the, the franchise comes into play because there's there's so many well, iterations really. from the franchise not, that are beautiful. But not too. really. So okay, like sure. for example, let, let's sure. go. Uh, you know, going back to say Jurassic Park, I'll go Bond. I can do Bond is a better sure. choice for me. Yeah. Okay, that's a sixty year franchise. And there's been a lot of different composers. So if you say, okay, Richard, who's your favorite composer from the franchise? David Arnold. Then if you say, okay, what's your favorite song from the Bonds? Okay, so favorite song from a Bond score? It would have to be um, the song Welcome to Cuba from David Arnold's score for Die Another Day. Now, do I like the movie, the score, the rest of the score for that movie? No. <laughs> But that one song is a banger. Yeah. So that's how, for me, I would work it. Yeah. But we got time. We can figure this out. We got weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, I always just do like, it's like the instrumental stuff, right? It's like I hear yeah. like a song pop in and it's like got an artist. I'm like, eh. Yeah. Well, see, that's I don't the, care. You know, if, if I talk about the Bond stuff, the, yeah, theme, the, the opening song, themes. The theme song is yeah. a completely different conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, if you want to hear a bit of it, bit of that conversation, we had it with our Golden Eye. Yeah. golden eye episode yeah our golden eye james bond coverage which was yeah. like a three-hour show so if you guys yeah. really want to deep dive into bond definitely check out our golden eye episode yeah. but, uh, um but yeah so we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll yeah. post about we'll post it oh, on yeah. fa on the facebook group so if you want to have join in and have a fun discussion and probably you know have have a bit of a, dis a disagreement with people because you know you don't think they're right when they say the uncharted is one of the best things ever written um <laughs> Yeah, and that's where like that's where that's where that argument for like franchise because like just for instance, the most beautiful music I think is was made by Howard Shore for Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Okay. Because it has that Celtic that like you can just picture the rolling fields, you can picture it's so beautiful and it's so just it's got all it's got more um what are the I'm trying to think of what the instruments are. It's I mean they, they all have they all have strings, but they have more of that like classic fiddle sound. Uh -huh. Which I mean a fiddle and a violin, it's the exact same instrument. It just depends on what part of the world you're from. But it has that Celtic <laughs> fiddle style and it has it like the tin whistles in there. Yep. It's got like more of those traditional Celtic, which I love like Irish, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Like uh, I used to listen to the Pogues back in the day all the time. I absolutely loved them. Like I'm a huge fan of like the Celtic like punk rock and like Celtic rock stuff from back in the day, and um, Dropkick, Dropkick Murphys was my favorite band for years. Oh, same here, same here. Years even before uh, okay. Al Bar joined the band as the singer. This was back with Mike McColgan oh, with the original. The original. Guy. Jeez, yeah, wow. this was Mike McColgan back in uh, uh, Do or Die album. So yeah. this was. Oh, see, I, 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 Fight started karaoke in. and all that stuff. Yeah, this was years uh, ago. Oh, I, I came into Dropkick Murphys because of Martin Scorsese. Oh, jeez, no, I yes, was, in, I was into Dropkick Murphys' their first full-length album. Oh, well, see, so, I, I never heard 
uh, I'd yeah. never heard of them until the Departed movie. So you know that turned me. I, I you know, I was like, okay, yeah. that's a banging song. Shipping up to Boston. I got the album. I went, okay, I'm into this band. I got to get the rest of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. If you want to hear a song, listen to Boys on the Docks from Yes, Tropic Murphy's, which is originally with Mike McColgan, the original singer who uh, left and came back and um, well, came back but came back to music and yep. started a band called Street Dogs, and it's basically dropkick part two um but it's oh, just cool his voice street dogs street dogs um yeah there's a yeah there's they're really good uh Ooh, I'll have to check them out. yeah they're amazing they're basically what dropkick was originally where once he left and and al bar took over who was from uh the um the bruisers from back yeah. in the day uh it got more celtic and that's when they brought in uh his name was Scrappy, the original bagpipe player in the band. Oh, um, yeah. So, but they brought the bagpipe player in the band during uh, "Sing Loud, Sing Proud," uh, yeah. which was their first like, "Hey, this is what Dropkick is now." Where before they were more like <clears throat> straight up like punk rock and roll. Because uh, yeah. I had a band years ago, and that's what we kind of based our sound on was old school Dropkick Murphys. Uh, so when they turned to Celtic, and I loved it. I mean, Blackout's one of my favorite albums ever written. Yeah, from Dropkick, absolutely love that album. But um, that was on rotation like literally twenty four seven for about two and a half years. <laughs> Blackout, I love that album. But uh, check out the Do or Die album. That was the first Dropkick Murphys album, and that was with Mike McColgan on vocals. Yep. And you'll you'll kind of get a sense of where they came from. But uh, but yeah, so I mean, that's where like the the that's why I said Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit is because I can listen to that music, and I just get lost. It's I get very unproductive. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm like that with, with the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack from okay. Basil Polidurus. I put that on and, you know, it's a grand over-the-top operatic score, but mm-hmm. there's a couple of pieces of music, um, one called, uh, it's called uh, Theology, where it's just this very, just this lighthearted little motif. And yeah, there's certain pieces of music in that soundtrack where I just kind of go, yep, uh, whatever the hell I'm doing, yeah, I stop. Yeah, no, believe me. There's a specific song in fellowship that i was kind of brought that up is the reason i'm looking it up right now uh i believe it's the very first song in fellowship of the ring on that album and it is called uh nuts where are you oh sure it's not the you sure it's not the piece of music they use when they go to hobbiton for the first time and it's basically oh yeah you know what it's called it's the second one it's called concerning hobbits yeah 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 i know that i know that yeah that was my that was one of my favorite tracks from the album as well so yeah I, I know exactly the one you're talking about yeah there's there's little things that music is just so beautiful and howard shore nobody talks about howard shore with as amazing as that dude is i mean for you to score that much good music in that big of blockbusters and those as long a movies as those are that's ridiculous well, you know, he's canadian so it's true it's and true. also he got he, and he got his start uh, score uh, composing for David Cronenberg. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So this he is did, six, uh, six six movies worth of music. It is 132 songs in nine hours from six movies. So that is that is a lot of music. Because <laughs> there's a ton of, there's a ton of music in those movies. They they really there's very few scenes in those movies that are quiet. There's always music going on in those movies. And think about that. I mean, do do the math. That's basically the entire running length of all, all six of those movies. <laughs> when you really True. think about it, that's a yeah. lot of music. True. 
but and but not director's cuts. We can't go with those because that's cheap. So <laughs> it's like four plus hours of movie. You can't go with that. But uh, so uh, we hope you've enjoyed this um, yeah. two-parter episode, which we've turned into one where we talked about Rise of the Guardians and then we talked about movie scores. Um, <laughs> well, that's just our, our, our long-winded tease for our favorite scores episode. And like I said, that yeah. will be dropping. Uh, theoretically, we have four shows to do before we get to that. So it'll probably yep. be later January. Yep. Uh, we'll keep everyone we'll, posted. Yeah, we'll keep everyone posted. And there's a specific reason. So as we talked last week, our next show will be the Blues Brothers. So uh-huh. that will that will come out New Year's Eve uh, 31st. And um, that's going to be a fun show because that's that's something Rich and I are going to be able to just go off on. That's going to be a great show to talk about. And then yep. after that, we have um, a little bit of a cool treat for you guys. So we'll... Uh, We'll we'll post you more on that just to confirm. I don't want to announce it on air yet, just in case schedules change. But uh, we may or may not have a guest coming on the show. So <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Because if 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 he or she can't, I don't want to disappoint anyone. So yeah, no, that makes uh, sense. But as well, of I'll, now, I'll be I'll, I'll be disappointed. It's true. It's true. But uh, we may have a guest, and Rich and I are going to try to work that in periodically maybe try to get somebody else on the show for another point of view for another personality um just to you know shoot the shit with us on the show so but uh yes i am gonna go to bed now <laughs> like but, no right now right now right this mm-hmm. instant yeah, <laughs> oh, i just got a bunch of forehead grease on my and now who's the ASMR part of the show? <laughs> Wiping off my bit filter. My pop filter. Sorry. Forehead grease. But uh, yeah, yes. You like that, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Now fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. Go to bed. Close your eyes. You're supposed to be serenading me right now so I can go to bed. But uh, thank you very much for I'll, I'll, listening I'll do, to I'll do, I'll do the serenading us. once we finish recording. Yeah, I was about to say. This is our best close ever. So thank you very much for listening. And uh, Rich, say goodbye so I can say goodbye and then hit end broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. As always, putting up with us. And from both man and I, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yes, please do. Be safe. Have a good one. Like I said, this show will come out Christmas Eve. Please give it a listen. Like, subscribe. Thank you very much. See you.